Welcome to our Wednesday Bible study. Now, today we're actually going to be starting a new book of the Bible. We're going to be looking at the short book of Philippians. It's only four chapters long. It won't take too long uh, to be able to look through there, but there's a lot of very useful information in here. Um, now, for the most part, basically about all that you really need to understand about this book is that Paul is writing it from prison. We'll kind of uh, pay attention to whenever that happens. Now, he didn't do anything wrong except that he followed Jesus Christ. And because of that, he got put in prison. Yet, even while he's writing from prison, he talks so much about joy. I mean, it's amazing how much he talks about rejoicing and having joy. You know, both that he's able to have that perspective in prison, but also he's encouraging the church at Philippi. I would strongly encourage you to take a look at this video from the Bible Project that goes through the overview of the book of Philippians. Uh, in fact, right now, you know, you might want to even just pause this video and take a look at that before we get into uh, chapter by chapter about what the book is about, because that's that's very useful. You can also print out the picture that you see on the screen right there, and then you can kind of use that in upcoming weeks and and uh, just it, it gives you an idea of what the book is about and what it's what it's centered on. Uh, so with that being stated, uh, let's take a look at the book of Philippians now. The first two verses uh, of chapter one are really just kind of the introductory material. We find out who's writing it and who it's written to. I think you kind of already can tell because it's called Philippians. Well, it's to the church at Philippi. So here, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right here, we actually find out that Paul is writing this um, letter uh, with Timothy. You know, he's actually written some separate letters to Timothy, but this is, he's writing them with Timothy. So they're working together and they're trying to encourage this church right here. We find out that it's addressed to the holy people, the, the Christians at Philippi, the ones who are following uh, Jesus Christ. And then, of course, it's also uh, written to those people who are the overseers of that church and also the deacons uh, of that church. We see the traditional uh, greeting about grace and peace. Uh, always great things uh, for, for us to be able to, to wish and hope uh, upon our fellow Christians. But as Paul continues, you'll find out that, that uh, he really does know these Christians a lot and he really does care a whole lot about them. So let's continue on in this letter. Let's look now at verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So here in this, we already are starting to see that Paul is writing about joy. In verse 4, he says that I always pray with joy. 
And one of the reasons that, that he's praying is because of this partnership. That's what he says in verse 5. So he has this close partnership with this church. Now, there is a sense in which he's a partner with all of the churches that he writes to. Of course, that's true. But it seems like he has a special connection to this church. For one reason or another, he does. And he really wishes them the best. I mean, he does that with all the churches, but he most certainly even mentions that in this passage. And in verse 6, he also says, talking about uh, God continuing on this work that's in there so that it can be carried out to completion. And he uses this phrase a couple of different times. Maybe you kind of notice that. It's until the day of Christ Jesus. I take that as, you know, the same thing as the day of the Lord, uh, the, the day of, of judgment in which we will all give an account for the things uh, that, we have, that we have done um, in Christ in this case. And what he is asking and kind of praying for is that the work that was started in this church will be completed so that on that day they can stand before Jesus Christ uh, fully what they are supposed to be. And, you know, that's a really good goal for all of us, that we should pray for one another, uh, that the work that has be begun in our lives, it can come to completion. Uh, because Christ has a lot of plans for each and every single one of us. And we need to make sure that we, we live uh, within those plans and, and up to those plans and follow what God uh, desires for us. In verse 7, he's already starting to talk about how he might be in chains, uh, but then sometimes he might be just defending the gospel. He might be confirming the gospel. But you notice that he always cares about them. That's what he says. It doesn't matter if he's in chains or if he's just out boldly proclaiming, defending, and, and confirming the gospel, he says, you share in this gospel. You share in this ministry. And that's what he's, he's talking with them about. We also uh, find out that, uh, that this is his prayer. This is another part of his prayer in verse 9. He says that your love may abound more and more. You know, that, that's a good thing for us to pray for, isn't it? For us to pray for one another that that our love may abound more and more. But notice that he even kind of includes a little bit more of that. Because he says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. See, that's what he is desiring for them. Now, a lot of times we probably don't combine the words about love and knowledge and depth of insight. But that's all kind of wrapped up together with Paul right here. We see that, that he desires their love to increase and for that to include this knowledge and the depth of insight but then he also follows it up in verse 10 so that so so this is the reason why he wants those things so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of christ that's a great goal for each and every one of us that we need to be able to discern these things that are best and that we might be able to be pure and blameless for that day of Christ. I, th I think that's wonderful goals for us to have. And yes, I know he was writing to the church at Philippi, but I think there's so much that can apply to us today. Now we're going to get into a little bit more about, you know, it probably seems a little weird to us whenever we see that, that so many times uh, Paul was in prison. In fact, it, it kind of seems like that's why we have so many of the letters is because um, he was moving around so much and, and always on the move that it took him being in prison for him to sit down and actually write these letters out. Uh, that, that's almost kind of what it seems like. Uh, maybe that's not exactly fair to Paul's life, but being in chains 
It most certainly gave him more of an opportunity to sit down and to write uh, these letters uh, back and forth between these churches. But now, if you've ever wondered, what does it look like whenever Paul's in prison? Well, we get a few different examples. You know, actually in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, with the Philippian jailer, you know, that was at Philippi. And we see that they're in chains, but they're praying, they're singing, you know, they are, they're, they're ministering to people around them. And Paul continues that on. Now let's look at verses 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Okay. Now, I know that depending on your translation, you know, in the NIV, I sort of stopped in the middle of the sentence, but I think it's important to get that part uh, and combine it with this section. And then we're going to pick back up also in verse 18 uh, in the next slide as well. But this one right here, we see that these verses 12 through 18, if you've ever wondered what it looks like whenever Paul is in prison, well, we already see that his mindset about it going into it. Verse 12 he says that this has happened, so it's actually served to advance the gospel. So, I mean, he's in chains, and you think, oh, well, that's got to hinder. No, not to Paul. Paul says it's going to advance the gospel. Then we find out in verse 13 that apparently news about what he's done is spreading throughout this whole palace guard. Okay, and all these people, they know he's in chains um, for Christ. Like, that is his, that, that's the reason. Uh, that's the purpose, but I mean, that's also a, a motivator for him. And it's a way that he uses that in order to, to show that, that the gospel is actually advancing. And he mentions in verse 14 about the need to proclaim the gospel without fear. I mean, you know, Paul, Paul definitely serves as an example of someone who could do that. Then he starts talking about some, some other things that he's seen. Because he sees some other people are preaching as well. And he says actually some people are preaching Christ in verse 15 out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So, you know, sometimes people, they have a, a weird motivation. They're, they're preaching Christ out of envy or rivalry, and then some people are preaching out of goodwill. And now, it's very important to understand what Paul is saying here and what he is not saying. Okay? What he is saying is, these people are preaching Christ. Now, if they were preaching uh, some type of, of false doctrine, he'd have a problem with it and he would address it. You know, that's what he does in the book of Galatians. And, you know, I guess he even kind of somewhat addresses that uh, in this book as well. So if they're preaching wrong things, he says that's not okay. So apparently these people, they're preaching the right things, but their, their motivation is not good. And I don't know, that's kind of weird to start to think about and to understand, well, what does that even look like? They seem to think that somehow they could hurt Paul by proclaiming, so that was their motivation. But what they were proclaiming was true. 
Because that's why he says what the important thing is in verse 18. He says, the important thing is this, that in every way, whether it's from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. You know, I think there is something that, that we need to learn about that, that, that we need to learn to be okay that Christ is preached. It doesn't always necessarily have to be you or me that proclaim Christ, but we need to be able to rejoice whenever he is proclaimed. Once again, that doesn't mean that we need to rejoice whenever wrong things are proclaimed about Christ. It's whenever the truth about Jesus is proclaimed. With that, we can rejoice. And with that, Paul shows us the example that he rejoices. No matter what the motivation is, he rejoices because of it. Now, of course, if they have a good motivation for preaching the gospel, I mean, that's a better situation. Uh, it's better for them, and it's better for Paul, and it's better for us. You know, it's better for everybody if we have this good motivation. But we see that the most important thing is that Christ is preached. That was important during Paul's day. That most certainly is important during our day as well. As we continue on, I'm going to, once again, kind of rope in a little bit from uh, verse 18 and combine it on down to verse 26 now. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for the deliverance, uh, for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. A, a pretty famous passage of what he's stating right here. He is rejoicing at the fact that Christ is preached. Then he is also asking for prayers. He does this often. He asks for prayers that, that he will be able to, to fulfill the things that he's supposed to do. Uh, that he will boldly proclaim as he should. He says in verse 20 uh, that uh, he, he wants now, as always, that Christ will be exalted in my body. Isn't that a wonderful prayer for us as well? That, you know, whatever happens, that we can live our lives in such a way that Christ will be exalted. Whether we live or whether we die, whatever the case, Christ is exalted. That's why he says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is is gain. He gains things because he would go and, and be with the Lord. And whenever he lives, he lives for Christ. That's why he can make those statements. And that's why I think it's a great idea if we can live our lives in such a way that we can make those same statements about our own lives. We see that, that he is kind of torn between these things. Obviously, he's in prison. He doesn't exactly know how it's going to go. Um, and, and it is kind of a little bit up in the air, you know, what, what's going to happen to him. Uh, Christians have been put to death before. Uh, in fact, Paul was involved in, in uh, at least being okay with a stoning of Stephen uh, back in, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 7 and 8 and all, we, we see 
that. So he knows it's possible that a Christian can be put to death. He doesn't know if that's what's going to happen to him yet or not. He is torn between these two because he says in verse 23 that he desires to depart and be with Christ. I think we can learn from this example that we need to be able to desire that as well. And he says it's better by far. Well, I mean, it's better for him. And ultimately, that's what's, that, 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 what is, that is what is going to happen to him. And that's what's going to happen to us as well. You know, at some point or another, we all have that moment whenever we are going to, to be with the Lord like this. But he also recognizes, as what's stated in verse 24, that it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Well, why is that? Well, he's got to be involved in this ministry still. He still has more things to do. So he recognizes that both of good, uh, but both of these things are good. But then he, he sees that he does need to remain. He does need to be able to continue to be able to make sure that they, uh, they will uh, carry out this completion of what they should become. And that they continue to uh, progress in this joy uh, and in this faith that they have. And then finally, one more uh, little section of this, uh, this chapter. Verses 27 through 30. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So he tells them, he says, look, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. But he says, whatever happens, you make sure that you conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's great advice. Uh, okay, I guess I could go ahead and say this book is full of great advice for us. And yes, it was written, you know, nearly about 2,000 years ago, but it still has everything to do with the world in which we live and that we still need to be people who will conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of this gospel of Christ. We need to stand firm in this one spirit is what he says. You know, he's trying to, to unite this church. That doesn't mean that they're divided necessarily. It just means that he... he knows that they've got to stay united on this. They've got to strive together as one for this faith of the gospel. That's what they need to do. And he also tells them that there is going to be this, this suffering uh, that, that is connected with their service. In verse 29, he says that uh, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. So yes, it's part of what it means to serve Christ is to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, they lived in a time whenever suffering for the name of Christ and for the cause of Christ was a very real thing. Once again, Paul is in chains at this time. And he knows that, look, what's happening to him could also happen to, him, happen to them. Um, and he knows that there is this struggle. There is this desire to, to kind of just take it easy. But he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's a great thought to end on for us. It's a great thing for us to strive for. We need to make sure that we always conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. To recognize that to live is Christ and to die is gain.
Once again, remember that uh, uh, I know this video is maybe a little bit shorter than, than uh, some of the others. Uh, that's okay. Kind of look at the, the link below and you'll be able to find that video of the overview from the Bible Project. Take a look at that. It will help us in upcoming uh, weeks as we continue to look through the book of Philippians.